Welcome to Catholic Light. Join me, Becca Doherty, each week as we shed a little light while keeping the conversation light. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Catholic Light. Today we'll discuss the fourth mark of the church. We've been talking about how the church is one, holy, Catholic. Today we'll talk about how she's apostolic. And we'll discuss first where that comes from, why Christ establishes it this way. And then secondly, we'll talk about how, despite the many scandals provided by the um, successors of the apostles, so the bishops, despite the scandal, um, Christ still provides a way forward for each and every one of us so that we can continue to receive the truth, truth, and nothing but the truth of Jesus Christ um, nearly 2,000 years later. So let's start by looking at Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 857, which talks about how and why the Church is apostolic. The Church is apostolic because she is founded on the apostles in three ways. She was and remains built on the foundation of the apostles, the witnesses chosen and sent on mission by Christ himself. Secondly, with the help of the Spirit dwelling in her, the Church keeps and hands on the teaching, the good deposit the salutary words she has heard from the apostles. And then third and finally, she continues to be taught, sanctified, and guided by the apostles until Christ's return through their successors in pastoral office, the College of Bishops, assisted by priests, in union with the successor of Peter, the church's supreme pastor. So the church is apostolic because she was and remains built on the apostles, the 12 men Christ gathered around himself, Um, she's apostolic because the church keeps handing on the teaching that she received from the apostles. And then lastly, the church continues to be taught, sanctified, or made holy, and guided by the apostles until Christ's return through their successors, the bishops. I'd also like to read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 19, Uh, one of my favorite passages of the Bible, where Christ clearly establishes Peter as the first pope and provides a way forward so that, again, 2,000 years later, I, Rebecca Doherty, each and every one of us can receive the same truth that Christ entrusted to the, the apostles that he proclaimed publicly when he walked the earth. So this is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. When Jesus went into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said in reply, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him in reply, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There are a number of things that are striking about this passage. First, it's striking that Christ is standing right before them, and people are already confused as to who he is. Uh, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Christ is right there in their midst, 
walking amongst them, preaching and teaching directly to them, and already people are confused. So Christ knows, he who is outside of time and space, that it's just going to get worse over time when Christ is not physically, uh, visibly standing in front of us, preaching and teaching. So what does he do? He establishes uh, this office. He establishes this means of carrying on the truth um, till the end of the age so that all may come to know him and his beautiful, incredible teachings. It makes sense, too, that Christ knows he's about to suffer, die, resurrect, and ascend to heaven. So basically, Jesus is going away. Um, it makes perfect sense to leave someone else visibly in charge. Um, so imagine that, you know, someone, the, the head of a company is, is leaving for a time. Um, he'll put somebody visibly in charge um, so that the, the company knows to whom they should direct their concerns, their questions, etc. Again, Christ doesn't pick Peter because he's perfect, uh, like Jesus Christ himself. He establishes the office of Peter, the office of the papacy, uh, such that it will be infallible, meaning that whoever holds that office will proclaim the truth when it comes to faith and morals, uh, the truth of Jesus Christ, infallibly, without error, from now until the end of the age. That does not mean that the person who holds that office is perfect. So again, Peter abandoned Christ at his most difficult hour, and then read any history book about the church, and you'll see there are a number of shady, sinful, horrific characters who held held this office. So this brings us to our second point, that despite the sinfulness, the very messed upness of a number of leaders in the church throughout, again, this 2,000-year church history, Christ still provides a way forward, and through the mess, he continues to hand on the truth so that each and every one of us who are sinful and mess up ourselves um, can receive this life-giving truth. So we've witnessed, just in our own lifetime, multiple sex abuse scandals uh, involving the the episcopacy, the the bishops. Um, we have seen severe mismanagement of church funds, and we see scandalous behavior coming from the bishops where they might be officially proclaiming the truth, but then um, acting in such a way that's contrary to that truth. If you've been hurt by the church or um, you wrestle with you know, some of the scandal, the mismanagement, the heartache that that has come from the leadership of the church, I highly recommend reading Bishop Robert Barron's book, Letter to a Suffering Church. It's a small little booklet, a little over 100 pages, where he traces um, just some of the, the terrible things, I guess you could say, that have happened um, at the hands of the leadership of the church, starting with scripture and continuing through through church history. He then talks about why we should not give up on the church, Christ working in and through the church, uh, despite the scandal and the suffering, and then he uh, provides a way forward. Okay, how can we continue on from this? He quotes a a number of of bright lights throughout church history who have acknowledged that uh, despite some of the horrors that come from church members, um, they recognize that this is the church that Christ established, and he continues to work in and through it so that we all, those in the church and, and the world, can receive the, the life-giving truth of Jesus Christ. He quotes John Henry Newman, um, 
who says, the whole course of Christianity is but one series of troubles and disorders. Every century is like every other, and to those who live in it, seem worse than all times before it. The church is ever ailing. Religion seems ever expiring. Schism's dominant. The light of truth dim. Its adherents scattered. The cause of Christ is ever in its last agony. So I remember thinking when the, the McCarrick scandal broke, like, oh my gosh, has the, are we in the darkest times of the church? And a, a quick glance through church history reveals that um, in fact, it's not, sadly, the darkest time of the church, but we've been here before, and Christ has pulled us through. He also quotes Hilaire Belloc, uh, an early 20th century Catholic writer, who said, The Catholic Church is an institution I am bound to hold divine. But for unbelievers, a proof of its divinity might be found in the fact that no merely human institution conducted with such knavish imbecility would have lasted a fortnight. So despite uh, our horrendous behavior, the church continues until the end of the age, which is a testament to the fact that it's a divine institution. We're here only because Christ established uh, the church and continues to work in and through it. So while Christ still provides for us in and through the church, we shouldn't turn away from that provision. So he continues to give us the truth, the sacraments, which bring us grace and life, And he promises that this church won't fail. He'll be with us till the end of the age. So when we've been hurt, or we know people who have been hurt by the church, we can recognize that an injustice has been done and seek healing. The aggressor might repent and reconcile, but sadly, he or she often will not. Um, Still, we shouldn't cut off our nose to spite our face. We can, again, personally seek healing and reconciliation so we're not carrying around this burden that um, another has inflicted upon us. And we can look for good priests, good parishes, of which there are many. We can also tithe our money wisely and well, literally put our our tithe money where our mouth is. Um, After the McCarrick scandal broke, we, so my husband and I tithed 10% of our income to the church, um, but we stopped giving to causes that are managed by the bishops. So we give to our, our home parish, um, who serves, you know, serves a number of people so well so that they can keep the lights on, heat and air condition the building and, and pay the employees that help, help run the church. Um, but then we've given our tithe money rather than to causes handled by the bishops. Um, we give more to places such as crisis pregnancy centers, to campus outreach programs such as Focus or the Thomistic Institute, and then to you know family, friends, neighbors who are in need because they are the church. So if we've been hurt by the church or by the hierarchy of the church, um, we can choose not to entrust our, our tithe money, our funds to them, but entrust them to others who manage, manage uh, the church's funds better. The moral of the story is this, despite the sinfulness and very messed upness of each of us, um, in the case of today's episode, I've honed in particularly on the bishops, uh, God established a fail-safe plan to ensure that I, you, each and every one of us gets the truth, truth, and nothing but the truth today, nearly 2,000 years after Christ walked the earth. And despite the dysfunction and even criminal activity of many leaders in the church, I get the valid sacraments that bring me grace to navigate this life, God willing, all the way to heaven. 
So let's end this first half of the episode um, with uh, a small prayer. Lord, we pray today for uh, those who have been hurt by the church, okay, victims of abuse, those who have been um, hurt, slighted, caused to suffer uh, because of the leadership or other members of the church. And we pray for healing, for reconciliation, and for justice. Show us how to remain connected to the church Christ established and to be wise as serpents, yet gentle as doves, tithing appropriately, charitably speaking the truth, and praying for all. We offer this up in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll take a brief break and then return to read our catechism selection for today, which is paragraphs 857 through 870. Thanks for sticking around. You are listening to Catholic Light. Thank you for joining me each week as we read through the Catechism of the Catholic Church and discuss some of its beautiful teachings. Hi, and welcome back. We'll now read the Catechism selection for today, which is paragraphs 857 through 870. The Church is Apostolic. The Church is Apostolic because she is founded on the Apostles in three ways. She was and remains built on the foundation of the apostles, the witnesses chosen and sent on mission by Christ himself. With the help of the Spirit dwelling in her, the church keeps and hands on the teaching, the good deposit, the salutary word she has heard from the apostles. She continues to be taught, sanctified, and guided by the apostles until Christ's return, through their successors and pastoral office. The College of Bishops, assisted by priests, in union with the successor of Peter, the Church's supreme pastor. You are the eternal shepherd who never leaves his flock untended. Through the apostles, you watch over us and protect us always. You made them shepherds of the flock to share in the work of your son. The Apostles' Mission Jesus is the Father's emissary. From the beginning of his ministry, he called to him those whom he desired. And he appointed twelve, whom also he named apostles, to be with him and to be sent out to preach. From then on, they would also be his emissaries. In them, Christ continues his own mission. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. The apostles' ministry is the continuation of his mission. Jesus said to the twelve, He who receives you receives me. Jesus unites them to the mission he received from the Father. As the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but receives everything from the Father who sent him, so those whom Jesus sends can do nothing apart from him, from whom they received both the mandate for their mission and the power to carry it out. Christ's apostles knew that they were called by God as ministers of a new covenant, servants of God, ambassadors for Christ, servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In the office of the apostles, there is one aspect that cannot be transmitted, to be the chosen witnesses of the Lord's resurrection, and so the foundation stones of the church. But their office also has a permanent aspect. Christ promised to remain with them always. The divine mission entrusted by Jesus to them will continue to the end of time, since the gospel they handed on is the lasting source of all life for the church. Therefore, the apostles took care to appoint successors. The bishops, successors of the apostles. In order that the mission entrusted to them might be continued after their death, the apostles consigned by will and testament, as it were, to their immediate collaborators the duty of completing and consolidating the work they had begun, urging them to tend to the whole flock, 
in which the Holy Spirit had appointed them to shepherd the church of God. They accordingly designated such men and then made the ruling that likewise on their death, other proven men should take over their ministry. Just as the office which the Lord confided to Peter alone, as first of the apostles, destined to be transmitted to his successors, is a permanent one, so also endures the office which the apostles received of shepherding the church, a charge destined to be exercised without interruption by the sacred order of bishops. Hence the church teaches that the bishops have by divine institution taken the place of the apostles as pastors of the church, in such wise that whoever listens to them is listening to Christ, and whoever despises them despises Christ and him who sent Christ. The Apostolate The whole church is apostolic, in that she remains, through the successors of St. Peter and the other apostles, in communion of faith and life with her origin, and in that she is sent out into the whole world. All members of the church share in this mission, though in various ways. The Christian vocation is of its nature a vocation to the apostolate as well. Indeed, we call an apostolate every activity of the mystical body that aims to spread the kingdom of Christ over all the earth. Christ, sent by the Father, is the source of the church's whole apostolate. Thus, the fruitfulness of apostolate for ordained ministers, as well as for lay people, clearly depends on their vital union with Christ. In keeping with their vocations, the demands of the times, and the various gifts of the Holy Spirit, the apostolate assumes the most varied forms. But charity, drawn from the Eucharist above all, is always, as it were, the soul of the whole apostolate. The Church is ultimately one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic in her deepest and ultimate identity, because it is in her that the kingdom of heaven, the reign of God, already exists and will be fulfilled at the end of time. The kingdom has come in the person of Christ and grows mysteriously in the hearts of those incorporated into him until its full eschatological manifestation. Then all those he has redeemed and made holy and blameless before him in love will be gathered together as the one people of God, the bride of the Lamb, the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. For the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. In brief, the church is one. She acknowledges one Lord, confesses one faith, is born of one baptism, forms only one body, is given life by the one spirit for the sake of one hope, at whose fulfillment all divisions will be overcome. The church is holy. The most holy God is her author. Christ, her bridegroom, gave himself up to make her holy. The spirit of holiness gives her life. Since she still includes sinners, she is the sinless one made up of sinners. Her holiness shines in the saints. In Mary, she is already all holy. The church is Catholic. She proclaims the fullness of the faith. She bears in herself and administers the totality of the means of salvation. She is sent out to all peoples. She speaks to all men. She encompasses all times. She is missionary of her very nature. The church is apostolic. She is built on a lasting foundation, the twelve apostles of the Lamb. She is indestructible. She is upheld infallibly in the truth. Christ governs her through Peter and the other apostles who are present in their successors, the Pope and the College of Bishops. The sole church of Christ, which in the creed we profess to be one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic, subsists in the Catholic Church, which is governed by the successor of Peter and by the bishops in communion with him. Nevertheless, many elements of sanctification and of truth are found outside its visible confines. This brings us to the end of our episode. Thanks for joining me for another week. 
In between now and next week's episode, please connect with me on Instagram at Catholic Light Podcast. And I'll be praying for you. Please pray for me. In the meantime, God bless you. Thanks for joining me this week on Catholic Light. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and your friends. And connect with me through Facebook and Instagram. I'll see you next week. And in the meantime, God bless you.